0: Six hundred seventy-five. Go ahead, Valerie.
1: Here's it.
0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday School Hour. In our study of Bible doctrines, we've studied and can taught last few weeks about the doctrine of the Bible, Bibliology. Today, we'll be starting four weeks about the doctrine of God or theology proper And I will be teaching that. Next up will be Sean teaching Christology about Jesus Christ. There are five of us that will be doing this kind of tag team, if you will, over the next several months, including Alan and Shane. So the five of us will be teaching that. On your handouts, you should have (laughs) at the top of page one, the existence of God is our theme for today. I had mine. If you need a notebook or anything, let me know. At the top of your handout, and we'll get to that in just a moment, uh, it says, Theology Proper, The Study of God, page 1, in the upper right-hand corner. And it is our adult Sunday school class for October 15th. And number 1 is The Existence of God. Next week, my plan is to teach about the essence of God. I had to try to alliterate this. And a couple weeks away, the eminence of God, Okay, and the fourth Sunday school class, the enterprise of God. So I really worked on alliterating that. Today is the existence of God. But before we do that, I would like to... Uh, just give you a few statements from Dr. Kober, one of my professors. And he uh, likes puns. Do any of you like puns? Okay, a few do. Are you ready for some of these? By the way, he's a German. Okay, Kober. And some of you have met him. Anyway, here's a pun. Jokes about German sausage... Are the worst. <laughs> okay. Here's another pun. I stayed up all night to see where the sun went. Then it dawned on me. <laughs> I'm reading a book about anti gravity. I can't put it down. <laughs> I see Shane nodding his head. <laughs> I didn't like my beard at first. Then it grew on me. (laughs) So here's another one, and then we'll quit. I got a job at a bakery because I needed dough. (laughs) So much for puns for now. Okay, on your handouts, you'll see, of course, like I said, in the upper left-hand corner, number one, the existence of God. Next week, the essence of God, but today, the existence of God. And so, theology proper, or the study of God, needs to start there. What is our greatest resource in regard to God being real and existing? The Bible. The Bible. He's self-revealed that. to He's self-told, I mean, you know, disclosed to us that he exists and of course Genesis 1 verse 1 the Bible tells us in the beginning God created that's right some people say it assumes the pre-existence of God and it does but more so it announces God he announces himself in his word however there are some human ideas about God and gods that you ought to be aware of. So letter A, human ideas about God. Animism is the belief in a multiplicity of spirits and that ultimately everything that exists is alive with spirits. All things have an impersonal life energy useful for good or evil. As, of course, Hollywood's the force in Star Wars. That's where that ideology came from. That's called animism. And we'll get down to some others that you'll recognize, like number two, fetishism is the belief that a spirit may temporarily dwell in an inanimate object like this and the object is therefore sacred so I better take my hands off of it right don't touch it worship it because the spirit lives there it's similar to idolatry it's very similar to idolatry Many native or indigenous peoples around the world practice this one. Have any of you been exposed to such things as totem poles or uh, shrines, uh, that kind of thing? Yeah, we have, and that's fetishism. Number three, pantheism. I used to tease when our boys were at home and we talked about some of this stuff that God is in the pan. (laughs) Anyway, pantheism is the belief that God is all and that all is God, everything that exists. All reality is God and everything is a manifestation of God. Manifestation goes in that blank under number three. A lot of these are similar in some ways, yet different religious systems have developed out of them. Henotheism, number four, is the belief that many gods exist, but that one god is superior to the rest, superior to the rest, and deserves to be worshipped above the others. Some examples are, in your Bible, you'll read about the Ammonites, Molech, was their supreme uh, false god. They believed in many gods, but Molech was the big one. Okay? The Moabites, you read about them in the Old Testament too. Their head god, if you will, their superior god was Chemosh, or Chemosh maybe is a better pronunciation. The Canaanites, you would remember theirs, right? Is, let, starts with the letter B, Baal, yeah, Baal or Baal. The Babylonians was Marduk and today even still Hinduism is the Brahma. They believe in a thousand or more gods but Brahma is the superior one and deserves to be worshipped above, above the others. That's henotheism. Polytheism. Number five is the belief that many gods exist and that all are to be worshiped okay in india they deal with that today in a variety of their <coughs> religious systems around that are kind of connected with hinduism and and anyway let's go on number 6 monotheism is very different than number five. Poly and mono, you know those terms, is the belief that one God exists and is the one to be exclusively, exclusively worshipped. And then the last one, number seven, about human ideas about God, is deism. It's the belief in one God who is removed from the world. He, if you will, some say, uh, started creation and let it go, and it looks like evolution to the, today because it's going on its own. And that is the idea of deism. Now, this is the major grouping of ideas among human beings worldwide, in regard to their philosophies concerning God or their worldviews. Actually, these are called worldviews by many. So, deism locks God out of the universe, whereas poly- pantheism locks God into the universe, okay? So they're almost opposites. Deism locks God out of the universe, pantheism locks God into the universe so let's define God letter B these are the two often cited definitions A.H. Strong says God is the infinite and perfect spirit in whom all things have their source support and end think that through God is the infinite and perfect spirit, singular, in whom all things have their source, support, and end. A statement from the Westminster Shorter Catechism says God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness justice goodness and truth so i want to give you some resources about these things if you come across anybody that has questions i want you to be ready always to give an answer to anyone that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you okay so these are some resources you can hang on to them however this really doesn't answer a person's real needs does it so far, we're just talking about man's ideas and definitions, that kind of thing. Letter C. letter C. External evidence. We're going to look at internal evidence. Ex- what I mean by external evidence of God's existence is outside the Bible. Internal evidence is what God reveals about himself. External evidence is what's out there, okay? So, philosophers have developed... Four major proofs, if you will, that God exists. Those who, uh, all the way back to Aristotle and others. um, Number one under external evidence of God's existence outside the Bible is the cosmological argument. (laughs) This proof asserts that every effect must have a cause, okay, cause and effect. You've studied that in at least high school, if not before. And so there must be of necessity a first cause in capital letters, okay, first cause. I'll read that again. The cosmological argument in a brief, short description is, a proof that every effect must have a cause. I mean, it proves that God exists because <clears throat> the the rotation of the earth if around our sun in our solar system, that's an effect. It had to have a cause. It didn't just happen accidentally or whatever. And because of that, there must, by necessity, be a first causer, <laughs> a first cause, Okay. That would be God. Number two, the teleological argument. This proof argues that, by and large, people everywhere admit that the universe reveals design and purpose. Therefore, there must be an intelligent designer. Okay, that's where I.D. comes from in our institutions of higher education and learning, Uh, there is a big debate about intelligent design. That is the teleological argument, and it's a valid one. It really is. But it's insufficient in itself, as we'll see. Number three, the moral or anthropological argument... Because uh, I included anthropological in that, it points out that it's about human beings. That this proof, quote unquote, points out that human beings innately have concepts of justice, ethics, right and wrong, and that moral order presupposes a, a moral lawgiver. Lawgiver goes in the two blanks. Okay. There has to be a source <clears throat> behind everyone knowing that murder is wrong. Even m- murderers know that murder is wrong, for example. okay, Where did that idea come from? Okay, that's the idea in this moral or anthropological argument. The, the animals are different than that, but human beings have some sense of right and wrong. We have a moral compass, we say. Where did that moral compass come from? How does it get directed? Well, there must be a moral lawgiver. Number four, the ontological argument. This proof, if you will, states that everyone has some idea of the existence of an infinitely perfect being. Perfect goes in the blank. And since humans are finite, the idea could not have originated with them. <laughs> Do you see their line of argument in, in all of this? It can't start with us, this idea of a perfect being, because we're finite. And it, an infinite perfect being, if you will. Rather, it has come from this being. In other words, the idea of the existence of an infinitely perfect being had to come from this being. So those are you'll find those in textbooks in other commentaries and resources that are in in regard to the discussion about a higher power, if you will. So here's my note. Now I've typed all this out but Here's my comment on that. Number five. These rational proofs for God's existence are inadequate for the purposes of Christian theology. They are predicated by the unaided reason of sinful man. And the unbeliever naturally hates God, is prejudiced against him, and unable To objectively reason or understand about God and spiritual things. We don't have that natural or innate ability as an unbeliever, but as believers, we do. There's a change then. Let's look at Romans 8, verse 7. There are many to read, so I will have others help me with that. I want to keep some of my voice for the next hour. Romans 8 verse 7 says because the carnal mind th- that means fleshly, natural, human for the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be. The Bible tells us without having a changed mind through belief and being regenerated or born again, we can't think right about these things. So the cosmological argument, the teleological argument, the moral ar- argument, and the ontological argument fall way short. They're, they're just human ways of putting that together as a philosophy, if you will. Would someone please read First Corinthians 2.14? I'd like to have everybody go there. First Corinthians 2.14. Good and loud, so everybody can hear, please. Thank you very much, Daryl. Everyone turn to Ephesians 4, verses 17 and 18. Ephesians 4, verses 17 and 18. And someone else read those two verses, please. That's not very flattering. But it's true. Before salvation, that's, that's the case. And all of us that are born again recognize the change that took place. I hope you do when God gave you a new heart and a new mind. You were able to think about these things and understand them, whereas in the past, we were ignorant of them, of course, and blinded. Okay? Well, so that's my statement. These rational proofs of God's existence or for God's existence are inadequate for the purposes of Christian theology we need to turn the page now to page 2 having in our hands the Bible okay having in our hands the Bible the Christian has in his possession a more sure word and Ken covered that in the last couple of weeks and I thank you for that let's all go to Peter uh oh 2nd Peter there's a typo. Put a number two before Peter. I guess you can try to go to First Peter, but it, you, it won't read the same. Second <laughs> Peter. Um, we have a more sure word than any human experience or reason. And so let's turn to what God says about himself in his inspired word. It is the perfectly reliable source for information about God Himself. God revealed it about Himself. Why did I choose Second Peter chapter one? Um, Peter was referring back when he wrote this to the Mount of Transfiguration. He and James and John were there that day, and they saw and heard Jesus discussing whatever they talked about with Moses and Elijah. They saw it and they heard it. However, Peter wrote, we have a more sure word, verse 19, of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Our revelation is more sure than the philosophies that have come through the centuries and millennia. It's more sure. It is our infallible, as Ken taught. That's why we start with bibliology a lot of times, is because that gives us a foundation to, to build on. It's not man's ideas, it's God's ideas about himself as we study about God. There's an old saying that good men wouldn't have written the Bible if they could, or they wouldn't be good men. Bad men couldn't have written the Bible if they would, because they don't have that ability. Okay, So anyway, it's not man's ideas. It's God's ideas. So letter D at the top of page 2, internal evidence of God's existence. Means in the Bible. I'm not going to read through all of these, and I don't expect that we will in the, peri- in the amount of time that we have, but let's read the sampling. This is a resource for you, and in itself, it is a, a very short list. It's not an exhaustive list of the, of the material and animal creation found in God's word pointing to the existence of God. We're looking for the existence of God in the Bible. Um, It's a short list. It's not exhaustive. But these are resources where you can get started, okay? So you may keep this. Please keep this page. And jot notes over to the right, however you want to do that. We already quoted Genesis 1.1. Let's go to Genesis 1. Okay. To prove God exists, verse 1, of course, tells us that God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. See that? (coughs) Verse 5 says, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. So material and animal creation is, if you will, evidence... It, in the Bible that God exists. It's just assumed. It's just stated. Verse 6 similarly says, and God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And that's talking about our atmosphere around the earth. Okay? Um, number, verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Creation itself speaks of God is real and exists. Look at verses 24 and 25. And God said, let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind. So it's material and animal creation. And we could add to that human creation as well. But that's for the Man who's teaching anthropology to us in the weeks ahead, okay? That's up to him to do that. So we are at verses 24 and 25. And God said, Let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. Why was it so? Because God is God. He can do that. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind and every living thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And, of course, we often cite the last verse of this chapter where God saw everything that he had made. And, behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Okay. We've started in Genesis. Let's see what Job has to say about God's creation. Someone read Job twelve six 6-10. Job 12, verses 6 through 10. Verse 1 says, and Job answered and said. But verses 6 through 10. Did Job recognize, biblically speaking, if you will, as God superintended his thinking to write this, that creation proves God exists? Absolutely. The the question that he asked, certainly, is... In um, verse 7, but ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee. What do they teach us? That God is infinitely powerful and real. It's not some accidental thing or even some sort of physiological thing. It is real. It's it's God exists. Psalm eight is one of those passages that I've memorized and I think some of you have too. Verses 3 through 9 tell us when I can... This is David, by the way. King David wrote this as God uh, superintended. Verses 3 through 9. When I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the waters which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. So he made the angels too, but that's for whoever is teaching angelology. And hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Does the Bible tell us that creation points to the existence of God? Yes, it does. Okay, now I'm looking at the clock now. These are all worthy of reading and maybe we better look at Romans 1 verses 19 through 20 and wrap up material and animal creation point to the existence of God. Romans 1 verses 19 through 20 does come up from time to time and it is important those who ask what about those who have never heard? Well, There are people who have not heard about Jesus dying on the cross, shedding his blood for their sins. That's our job, to take it to them. And if they're really not denying God's existence here, um, then God will bring it to them. I believe that with all my heart. God has often done that. If they do deny his his existence, they're without excuse. Verses 19 and 20. You know, to preface this, I'd like to just quote verse 1 out of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Romans 1, verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. That is kind of that argument that all human beings have some big void, if you will, that is, some call it a God-sized void. Anyway, they have this idea that there is that God exists. So it's in them, for God hath showed it unto them. Verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse okay so those are some resources for you proving God's existence from the Bible about material and animal creation let's go to number two the nature of human beings in Genesis 1 verse 26 we uh, mankind was created in the image of God chapter 5 verse 1 speaks of that in chapter 9 Genesis 9 verse 6 let me read that quickly. After the Noah's flood, we call it Noah's flood. <laughs> it was God's flood that Noah survived because God preserved him. Anyway, 9-6, Genesis 9, verse 6 tells us this. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. There, as you read through that, there's a distinction between man and the animals, if you will. In God's image, has given mankind much, much more than the other creatures. We can, mankind, al- although f- very imperfect, has ability to build buildings and speak through a lapel mic and all of that. That it is, we have been given a mandate from God to have dominion over this earth and that shows where it doesn't with the animals. Go to Psalm 100 verse 3 and then Psalm 139 verse 14. Someone please read Psalm 103 not 103 okay Psalm 100 verse 3 (laughs) (laughs) who made us we didn't make ourselves obviously 139 now verse 14 Psalm 139 this is that passage where King David is recognizing that he was fearfully and wonderfully made that is Psalm 139 verse 14 I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well the Bible declares and Reveals to us that we were made by God and there is a unique nature in mankind. Let's go to James chapter three, verse nine. Okay. James three, verse nine. So I'll try to wrap this up. James three, the ninth verse. It says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Just our human nature, if you will, is not of our own doing. It's from God. Number three, direct revelation. And this sometimes is called self-revelation, where it says, Thus saith the Lord. God gives direct revelation, and it is certainly in the Bible that exact phrase, thus saith the Lord, shows up 413 times. There are hundreds of other forms. The word of the Lord came or God said and Ken pointed out that all of the forms add up to about 3,800 times. God reveals himself through his word. He gave us this. (laughs) And just that we have it in our hands is proof that God exists, if you will. God gave it to us, and that is another proof that God exists. Number four, God's mighty miraculous acts. In Exodus 15, of course, the parting of the Red Sea. In First Samuel 17, David whooping Goliath. <laughs> and David gave him all the credit for that. In Isaiah 20 and Isaiah 46, there were miraculous things that took place, including the sundial going back for about three hours in Hezekiah's day. Do you know what that takes? I can't comprehend what that would take in our physical universe for that to happen. But God did it because... He is all-powerful. So his mighty and miraculous acts, and in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul addresses that as well. Several verses, therefore, so many of those. These are just a few. I, I know you can think of some right now. It is a proof that God exists, we find in the Bible. And they are real events. They didn't just... They weren't the imagination of some person or oral tradition of some kind. They really did happen. And there's proof that they really happened. <clears throat> the dead sees dead because of the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, if you want to. I mean, there is so much proof of that worldwide. God is all-powerful, and the Bible reveals that about him. The Bible itself um the preservation of the Bible, Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7, and Psalm 119, verse 89, forever thy words are settled. That God's word exists to this day. Have anyone, I mean, have others tried to destroy it? Yes. The song goes, destroy it, they never can. Why? Because God exists. Because it's real. We have this book, and it will never be destroyed. never. So a lot of those verses speak to that, okay? It's not the product of man. Number six, Jesus Christ. I love that one. <laughs> one of the proofs found in the Bible that Jesus Christ exists, I'm sorry, that God exists is his being manifest in the human realm. He took on the form of a human being. Isaiah seven fourteen and Matthew 1:23 are the two verses that Randy Miller just clicked with the day he trusted Christ as Savior. Um, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and, and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. It's also quoted in Matthew 1, verse 23, being interpreted God with us. Jesus Christ was and is God with us. John 1, 14 says, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And in Colossians 1 and Colossians 2, 9 In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus Christ's existence and his all the miracles he did. Can you... (laughs) those miracles prove that God exists and that Jesus Christ is God. And just, God came into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. And then the last one is the testimony of believers. In Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, of course, it speaks of um, we are the light of the world or the salt of the world. And in John 13, verse 35, it tells us that I guess we better wrap up with that. Go to go- the Gospel of John 13, verse 35. John thirteen, thirty-five. There it is. I found it. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. Our existence in this world... As believers, is a biblical proof that God exists. We are different than them or they, if you want to use a different pronoun. And it should show. Just I would. I have said this: if believers were not in this world, the world would have destroyed itself long ago. Our existence is, if you will, an evidence or a proof that God exists so there are some resources for you let's wrap up in prayer and next week the essence of God Heavenly Father thank you for this time together and thank you that you have revealed yourself in many many ways especially through the pages of the Bible Father God I ask you that we would not take this for granted but that we would also be able to answer others about our faith that you have given us with some knowledge and especially Scripture. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the change you've made in us. And I ask you that we would keep changing by your grace and the moving of the Holy Spirit and that you would add to our understanding and knowledge. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your greatness and holiness and perfect ne- perfection. Father God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.